Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Yesterday we heard the news from ASU President Michael Crow that they were banning, restricting travel of ASU faculty, staff, and students uh, to China, specifically the... uh, coronavirus epicenter there, the Hubei province. All of China. Nobody was allowed to go to China. We're we're learning... No China for you. (laughs) No, exactly. Uh, How how do you do that with students, right? That was my question. Yeah, that was our question. When he said students, I'm like, uh, I can can understand that, you know, you're not going to send staff or faculty over there. There was some uh, research project or outreach or whatever. I get that. But how would you stop students from traveling? Yeah, uh, how they how they're stopping students would be through like travel abroad programs. If they if the university had like a sanctioned program, you're going to do a semester abroad or, uh, you know, two weeks for some program, intensive study or whatever it may be. Well, yeah, the university can say we're canceling those programs and we're not allowing students to go through those programs. Okay. when it comes to personal travel, let's say you have, you know, a, a Chinese student who wants to go home for spring break. There's nothing they can do about that. Visit their family. They can't stop them. Okay. So to clear things up there a little bit for you in that regard. um, But we also know that there's a lot of concern among some and maybe even panic among others down at ASU concerning the coronavirus. Why? Well, because, you know, the first confirmed case in Arizona is in Tempe. It is a member of the ASU community. And and I think that that's probably what's also creating some of the concern slash panic is that the university is in a tough position here. Mm-hmm. They haven't given us much information other than this person is affiliated with ASU. Right. Part of the ASU community was the terminology. And we don't know what that means. Are they a student? Uh, Are they a a faculty member? Are they staff? We've been told they don't live in um, like on on student housing. Okay. But again, I'm an ASU alum, and anybody who's gone to college knows that there are huge apartment complexes surrounding universities. So it's not just about like student, you know, campus living. It can be other things as well. And there's not a lot of information. So I think in the absence of information, people are filling in the blanks for themselves. Yes, agreed. But the university is in a tough position. What are they going to tell you? Are they going to tell you it's Bruce St. James Uh-oh. who lives right here and goes to these classes? Because you also have to... That would prote- freak people out a hell of a lot more. But, but, but do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in a tough position. Okay. So I think you've got students that are just trying to do what they think is best. So they've signed a petition, 20,000 of them, asking for... Ca- classes to be canceled. Not going to happen. And good luck finding a mask anywhere near the campus. You're not exaggerating. No. We, we literally sent uh, our KTAR reporter, Griselda Satino, to uh, pharmacies, the Target, uh, went looking for, and Home Depot can't find any of these masks. But we learned from the fact, uh, uh, from actual medical professionals, health professionals, the mask really isn't going to help you one way or the other. Yes, yeah, so if you're freaked out because you can't find a mask, don't or you think out. that you need a mask, you don't. In essence, what the mask does is prevent your germs from spreading to someone else. 
Their germs can still spread to you, at least the coronavirus germs. Um, And I don't need to get into the science of it all, but unless you've been to China or have had direct contact with somebody who has been exposed to the coronavirus, you don't need to worry about it. Hmm. But that second line, I think, is also part of the problem. I think you have a huge community of folks down at ASU going, well, did I have direct contact? How would I know? Because we don't have that information. But again, it gets back to the difficult position that the university is in. Okay, okay. What I would just offer to folks right now is if you have never in your life worn a mask to protect yourself from the flu virus, the regular flu, then you don't need to worry about the coronavirus Mm. because the flu kills tens of thousands of people in the United States every single year. It's the the death by flu in the United States is a real thing, and it's a killer. It's one of the biggest think, killers. I don't think people fully understand that. Mm-hmm. On the low end, 20,000 people die a year from the flu. And because this depends on the, the strength. strength of the strain, yeah. right? Okay. On the low end, it's twenty grand. Right. On the high end, we've had 60,000. Right. Right now, we've had about over 100 coronavirus deaths in the world. So is all of the reaction, locally and internationally... Is it all the better safe than sorry argument? Because the reaction to this coronavirus looks and feels different from any other health outbreak. Think maybe it's on par with Ebola. No, not even really, because the reaction. Yeah, yeah. Remember how people thought they were going to get the Ebola sure, here. Sure. You know what? And, and, and this is this is where like I struggle with the story because I'm looking at the facts as they are right now. And you look at, you know, what has the potential to kill you in the United States? Flu mm-hmm. compared to what doesn't have a, a high potential of killing you coronavirus, you would go, well, why haven't we banned uh, flights to parts of the world where there's a huge, huge flu outbreak? Why? Why hasn't Europe banned flights to the United States because of the flu outbreak? Right. So but that's what's happening, which then honestly, Bruce, leads me to believe, well, what aren't they telling us? Well, and there is, you know what I mean? There is a certain amount of are we assuming that China's being honest? 100% 100% transparent. No, I don't Because I don't it would think be the so. first time in recorded history that they are. And, and so I get where there's confusion surrounding this. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to offer perspective to folks. Like, if you're in China... Be worried. This is serious, serious stuff right now. And, and could it become serious, serious stuff in other places around the world? Potentially. Yeah, and, and, and I reserve the right to change my opinion <laughs> on I reserve this. the right to get freaked out at a later date. But right now, I'm just kind of looking at it... As to where the real risk lies mm-hmm. and what I can't wrap my mind around are the folks who are absolutely freaked out about coronavirus that they need to wear a mask, but yet didn't get their flu shot this year. It is a disconnect. Absolutely it is. I'm going to one up you. The people who are pouring Purell over their head while wearing a mask, but they cut a hole in the mask so they could smoke. They're driving down the 51 right now, speeding, not wearing their seatbelts, worried about the coronavirus. Let me tell you, that ain't the thing that's going to catch up to you. But, you know, know, I I also read the headlines and it it gives me a moment of pause when we find out that, you know, the Trump administration, the White House is considering banning flights to China. Yeah. We know that United... 
has canceled flights to China. British Airways? They, the they've they've never done that for the no, flu. For anything. So, so while I hope you understand my argument of what really has the, the, the ability, proven ability mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. kill you in the United States, which is the flu, um, we don't take these kinds of precautions for the flu. No, we don't. Which opens the, the door for me to say, well, what don't I know about this? And that, again, so I, like you... I am not in a state of panic. No, no. By the way, I'm flying this weekend through an international airport that has direct flights to and from China. Hey, guess what? I'm going to Tempe Friday night. There you go. We're both living on the edge. All right? Hopefully we see you Monday. (laughs) Halfway there. Living on a prayer. Um, But I have not seen or felt this reaction from governments, health agencies, etc. No, I get it. So I almost wonder, again... Are, is everyone being transparent, and is there something I don't know? I, I get, like you, I reserve the right to change my opinion if it comes out that there's more that we just don't know. Yeah, and, and I think that that's where a lot of people are right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this has been an evolution for me. I don't know about you, but on Sunday when I got the KTAR, you know, breaking news alert that the first confirmed case of coronavirus is in Arizona, I was like, whoa. Just got real. And then when I found out it was at ASU in Tempe, I was like, Even worse, oh my right? goodness, One what a populated it. area. That's horrible. And we came on the air Monday, and, and I, there was a genuine concern. And I think that you have that kind of natural reaction when something is is new. We don't know what we don't know about the coronavirus. Yes. I can concede that. Yes. And that's where I think a lot of the concern for me comes from. And I don't trust China. I don't. Nor should you. But when you start looking at, like, compare and contrast, you know, flu versus coronavirus, that's where I'm getting a bit of a different perspective. But then on this hand, I'm seeing how different governments are handling this. And it, it, it definitely gives you a moment of pause. That it does. We'll continue to update you again on the facts and the things that we know as we know them when it comes to the coronavirus. Uh, but the message as of right now is the mask probably doesn't help you. Purell does not eliminate uh, uh, viruses or disease. By the way, the FDA. ASU is not canceling any classes. ASU's, they didn't cancel it for the flu. They're Mesa not going to cancel it for Public Schools does not have an outbreak. And ASU is not allowing uh, faculty, staff, or, or students when they're abroad programs to travel to China. There you go. You're up to date. Maybe it's a great time that you should just sit down and spend more time with your kids, as opposed to all those trips to Wuhan that you were planning. We'll explain to you about how few of you are actually getting that face-to-face time. St. James and Pamela Hughes. We kind of brushed over that. Uh, uh, Bob McClay mentioned it. The uh, the high rise fire. It's an apartment building in downtown Los Angeles. And the thing that struck me, Pamela, is they had the um, what do you call that? Like the big inflatable thing, like bouncy house, like a bouncy yeah. house. Thank you very much. So that people who were jumping from oh, man. the fifth, sixth, seventh oh, floor geez. could land in the bounce on the on the big inflatable thing, Ugh. like that's just something you don't see every day. Anyway, we keep an yeah. eye on that as well. It's just another day, just another <laughs> another news story, right? So, how much time do you actually spend with your kids now? The question is not, how much time do you spend in the same room? This almost gets to, quote, quality time, right? Sure Face-to-face time without yeah, other distractions, right? Because if you say, I'm around my kids all the time, 
they're on their phone, I'm on mine. That's not what we're talking about. No, we're, we're talking about like face-to-face, not just coexisting in the same room. And what we find out right now that, on average, parents are spending eh, just about five hours a week face-to-face with their kids. That is shockingly low Hold on, I'm going to do the math me. here. Oh, stop it. That's less than an hour a day. <laughs> oh, man. That's as much math as I can uh, do. Yeah, and... and um. It seems sad to a certain extent. Uh, Yeah. And and is technology the thing to blame? Oh, I think it most definitely plays a role. I think there's a lot of things that that are going on here. Because what they find out, I mean, this is on average, okay? Because if you've got a one-year-old at home, you know you are spending a heck of a lot more than that, okay? But if you have an 18-year-old or a 17-year-old, it's a lot less. They need less from you as far as the hands-on, but not less as far as the support goes. Mm -hmm. So how you parent changes over those years. Um, But what was interesting to me about this study is it also kind of goes against what we've seen in in years past. Because have you seen these studies, Bruce? Because I I see them every year, um, how parents spend twice as much time with their kiddos than they did 50 years ago. So think about this, though, because you say why. Mm -hmm. I think back to my parents. Okay. And they both worked. Oh, all right. My husband and I both work. Yep. Okay. And I had fantastic parents, and they were quite engaged, but it wasn't as though we were spending a ton of face-to-face time together. So for, for me, mom stayed at home, and okay. dad worked. I hardly ever saw dad. Sure. Uh, face-to-face time with dad? He would get home late at night. He, uh, he would get home. We'd have dinner. You know, I, I, I just didn't I didn't get a lot of time, period. I probably didn't get five hours of face time. And, and if you're that. both working parents, I mean, it, it, it can be tough. And so how do you how do you go about that? Because, again, I go back to my childhood. Um, like I and this is this is kind of weird to be sharing, but I I started hunting. I'm from Pennsylvania. This is what we do, okay, in November. And I went hunting with my dad at the age of 12. And the reason why I I started hunting with my dad is I just wanted to spend more time with him. Interesting. You, I started taking his hobbies. Dad's hobbies, because what we're seeing is in today's parenting world, the 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 parents are taking up the kids' hobbies. No, it wasn't just that. I mean, I'm not trying. to... Parents are playing Fortnite. Can I? I was doing my taxes yesterday. Don't ask me why I'm so far ahead of the world. I know my tax preparer. She says, the only way my daughter and I get along together is playing Pokemon Go. Yeah. She goes, we but play like, Pokemon I go, Go I, together. I, I go back to, um, you know, my dad coached and managed my softball team. Oh, okay. I, I would go fishing with him all the time. Mm. Uh, we, we had these... Not rituals, uh, loose tradition, hobbies that we did together. And that's where most of our FaceTime came from. It wasn't at home. Fair. And and so I think that like finding those opportunities with your kids are, is important for me and my daughter, Riley, who's 10. Um, I'm a stickler for technology and get off, get off the, the screens. Right. But one thing like, hey, help me cook. So she comes into the kitchen, and it's, it's a lot easier on me. I actually enjoy having her in there. She's learning something. We have fun. And so it's finding different ways to do it. It's super easy to blame screens for it. And I think that there is a, a, a role of that. 
But it's also, how are you as the parent creating that time? Because it's super important. That relationship is super important. But I have to acknowledge, and and again, looking at the changes in this, if you didn't grow up with that, it's difficult to suddenly start imposing it. No doubt. Your relationship with your child probably mirrors a lot of your relationship with your parents. Mm -hmm. And and, and that's how it goes down that path. The, um, The impeachment trial, the question and answer period, it is underway. We're going to get you up to speed on that. But next up, we want to talk about education in the state of Arizona, competing ideas on how to fund education. We'll tell you what they are coming up next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's News Station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. I guess you could argue it's a fundamental question. In the state of Arizona, who should pay for the education, the public education of children? We have, are going to have, competing ballot initiatives, it appears, on the 2020 ballot in November, where you will get to choose. Your two options are the rich, the invest in ed ballot initiative, which, quote, taxes the rich over a certain amount, or another initiative being floated by State Senator Kate Brophy McGee, which would increase the sales tax by four tenths of a penny. Yeah. So this would. Her initiative is a bit different. So it's a continuation of Prop 301, for lack of a better term. We passed 301 back in 2001, and that was a six-tenth of a cent sales tax that goes to schools, okay? Mm -hmm. It was set to expire in 2021. Well, the governor last year signed legislation that extended it to 2041, okay? What State Senator Brophy McGee is looking to do is to propose a new one cent sales tax, okay. 100% of it will go to education, and it would be put on the ballot this November. It would replace that six-tenth cent that I just told yeah, you yeah, about yeah. and would kick it up to one cent. A full penny. Forever. Forever so, and ever. Well, well, but so there, there's, no, there's no deadline. There's no extension. If we vote on this, then this is the way it is. So it would be an increase of four-tenths of a cent, in essence, is what she's looking to do. Now, we're going to have her on the program tomorrow yeah. to dive into this a little bit more because you and I have questions. We have questions. And we know that you know you have questions as well. We asked you, though, which one of these initiatives mm-hmm. would you be more likely to support? Because there's a good chance both may be on the ballot, could both potentially pass. Your choice is invest in ed, yeah. tax the rich, yeah. or a penny for education, one penny in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's what you had to say on the open mic line brought to you by Carol Royce with Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Susan in Cave Creek, I'd vote for Penny for Ed. Definitely agree that um, it is not the responsibility of just some of our population to make choices for education. This is Karen from El Mirage, Arizona. As a conservative voter, I could totally get behind the Penny for Education initiative. I would just want there to be specific language Mm -hmm. that this money would go towards our students, our textbooks, and our teachers, and that it would not be used for our too many superintendents in Arizona and other 
administrative costs. This needs to go to our kids and the classroom. And that's a great question for for Ms. Brophy McGee tomorrow, right? For Senator Murphy McGee, because here's another thing that has happened in the past. And shout out to uh, Daryl for emailing me this. In the past, when we we have voted on increases in spending for education, we'll stick in the education world. The state legislature has subtracted that amount of money from the general fund, leaving education at exactly the same same uh, uh, spending level, and then they use that money for something else. Would that happen? Could that happen? Because I find it hard to believe that the state lawmakers want their hands tied. They don't like that. They don't John Rio Rico, I'd vote for both simply oh. because I have lost all trust in the state legislature to do what is right for education, especially since they seem to be determined to kill public education in this state. I think there are a lot of people that feel that way. I don't know about necessarily voting for both, but that feel as though those that we've elected down at the, the state capitol um, are, are not in favor of public education, that they're more in favor of uh, charters or voucher programs, and some even have their own charters that have been quite profitable to them as well. So I get the argument that he is making there. But I find it interesting, Bruce, that we could potentially have two initiatives on the ballot in yes. November that would go towards creating funding for education. Again, the invest in ed, tax the rich, or the penny for education, increase, increase. Prop 301 yeah. kind of thing. Um, but th- there could there possibly be a third? Is there a possible third revenue stream yes. that we may actually be voting yes. on when it comes to education in November? The legalizing of recreational marijuana in the proposal, because they're still gathering signatures as well, um, a portion of percentage of the tax revenue from legalized recreational marijuana is earmarked towards, quote, education again. I'm not mad at that. I, I think that that's kind of a selling point. Like, hey, you know what? This can help fund education and we need funds for education. So, you know, people could get behind that. This is where, you know, politics and the process mm-hmm, gets mm-hmm. A, a little wonky, but I think important. If you're looking at these three measures, the one on its surface right now, and I want to get more answers tomorrow when we have State Senator Brophy McGee on the program to discuss this, but out of the three, hers, the penny for education is the one I can get behind, even though I am a supporter of, you know, recreational marijuana. If you want to pass that, that's fine. Right. And I think that the state is going to eventually pass it. I don't want to pass it by a ballot initiative. I want the legislature to do that. They don't want to be on record. Well, but, but, but I'm telling you why, because yeah. they don't want to be on record. But when you want to change something. Because we haven't been down this path before, uh, they're not going to be able really to change to it. it. They're going to have to go back to the voters. If the voters are the ones that pass it, then the voters are the ones that change it. If the legislators are the ones that pass it, the legislators are the ones that change it. And I think we need that for pot, but I don't think we need that for education. I don't want the legislators to touch the money that goes to education because I, like you and some of our caller, callers, don't trust them with that. What have they ever done to let you... But that would make you trust them. 
they do not believe in, quote, properly funding education or spending more money for education. They don't believe in increasing taxes, period. That's why I don't want them to have their hands in this one. <laughs> Those calls on the open mic line, we appreciate them. They were brought to you by Carol Royce, the leader in Arizona real estate. We'll get your home sold guarantee or she'll buy it for cash. Go to carolhasthebuyers.com. You know, Greg makes the point that uh, increasing a sales tax impacts lower income people more because they pay a larger percentage of their money. I get it. I, I get it. But we have to find revenue somewhere. No. So what your argument is, tax the rich because they have more of it? Might be one of the reasons why you need to have your faith in humanity restored. I'm going to tap in today and tell a story of a friend of mine restoring my Ooh, faith in humanity. I like that. That is coming up next on Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. We are 47 minutes into a 16-hour, at least that's what it's scheduled for, Q&A session inside the United States Senate where 100 senators uh, on a piece of paper, you got to put your name at the top, Pamela. If you doesn't have your name on it, you don't, you're not going to get credit. <laughs> credit for it. Y- your name, who you're addressing your question to, House managers or White House counsel. And what your question is, you then have to hand it to the front of the room and Chief Justice Roberts reads the question and allows for the Q&A part. All right. So here was what the first question in this, like you said, 16 hour marathon session sounded like. The Democratic leader asks of uh, the House managers, is there any way for the Senate to render a fully informed verdict in this case without hearing the testimony of Bolton Mulvaney? and the other key eyewitnesses or without seeing the relevant documentary evidence? The short answer to that question is no. Uh, There's no way to have a fair trial without witnesses. Uh, And when you have a witness who is as plainly relevant as John Bolton, who goes to the heart of the most uh, serious and egregious of the president's misconduct, who has volunteered to come and testify to turn him away, to look the other way, uh, I think is deeply at odds with being an impartial juror. That was uh, House Manager Representative Adam Schiff. I don't know how to put his entire title in one thing, answering that question. And then uh, the, the, the questions bounce back and forth, basically. You know, one question. side. Okay, sorry. Go, oh, and, no, you ready? And then the other side gets the question. The other side gets the question. I don't have the response to it here. Um, but, but I thought that this was, um, this was kind of interesting. Oh, okay. Question from Senator Markey to the House managers. On Monday, President Trump tweeted... The Democrat-controlled House never even asked John Bolton to testify, end quote. So that the record is accurate, did House impeachment investigators ask Mr. Bolton to testify? The answer is yes. Uh, Of course we asked John Bolton to testify in the House, and he refused. Um, They then proceeded to put up a document, by the way, from the Department of Justice, uh, which blocked... um, an attempt to enforce a congressional subpoena saying that the House uh, committee lacked standing. So they did. Yeah, ask, and, and, and think, they were blocked by the Department of Justice. This, this is what you're, this is what you're hearing from some Republican senators. Why do we need to do the job that the House refused to do? I've heard that. Argument. OK. And why didn't you just call Bolton? Correct. And. You know, if you wanted to hear so badly from him, you should have subpoenaed him. You should have gone through the court proceedings in order to hear from that witness that you think is so important. Mm-hmm. And and I would just remind folks that 
the House did that, that whole process, subpoena, courts and stuff like that with Don McGahn. The uh, White House counsel, yeah. And President's counsel. It's still going on right now. Still in court. Yeah. We're still arguing. It could take another year. So. And Bolton didn't offer to testify in front of the House. No, he said, you're going to have to subpoena me. He's offering to testify hmm. in front of the Senate. Okay. Uh, again, 51 minutes into a 16-hour question Riveting. and answer periods. We'll have a no, lot more not. of the back and forth. And um, the reality is most of you probably aren't watching. This is when I usually try to yes. restore your faith in humanity. But today, Bruce yes. has got a story to share with you. I want to share a story of, of, of my friend, Trish, who took a unspeakable tragedy and has turned it into something... Uh, not only amazing, but life-saving. Um, I've known Trish for quite some time. We worked together uh, in Los Angeles. And a few years ago, her 17-year-old son took his life. Um, he did so in a national park uh, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, where there is the uh, a, a large bridge. It's called the Natchez uh, Trace Bridge. It's this huge span bridge. And I did not know this, but I found out that in the last 26 years, 30, the last 20 years, 36 people had committed suicide at this bridge in a national park for last year alone. Trish took the tragedy of being a parent and losing, losing a child like that and started a, a group, um, a group of uh, parents. She brought in some lawmakers, the Park Service, and they have been working to fundamentally make this area, I'll call it safer, okay? And this area is referred to in the, in the community as a suicide magnet. So they are working on uh, barriers. Have you heard about these before at some of these bridges mm -hmm. to, that would prevent someone from dropping off, jumping off? And something that I didn't even know was a thing, and, and maybe I'm just the one that doesn't know it. They have emergency phone boxes like you see them on the side of the road. Sometimes if you have you know, your car breaks down, there's an emergency. They have these on both sides of the bridge and they instantly connect you to uh, the suicide hotline. So that if you get all the way to the edge of the bridge and you're thinking about this, there's still a chance for you to talk um, because of her work and because of the efforts uh, of of Trish in the memory and the honor of her son. She was named Tennessee People of the Year, her and their group. That's awesome. It's, it's about taking such a horrific tragedy. Yeah. And... And, and, and doing something positive with it. And they've already said they've, they've already saved lives because of the work they're doing, and they're going to continue to do more work uh, on, on dealing with suicide. So, Trish, as we think about you today and we think about the loss of your son, we also are so thankful there are people like you that are doing something to help others. All right. Strong your faith in humanity. Thank you for letting me do that today. Absolutely. And I, saw I thought Trish's it was a story fantastic and, story. I wanted you to I, share. I was really proud of that, and I really, really... As, as much as my heart hurts for Trish, glad to see that. Hey, Pamela and I couldn't do it alone. We see DJ Tommy Two-Tone, Super Producer Stevie Z, and Bob McClay.